Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our rewatchable spinoff show on Luminary called Rewatchables 1999 is taking a little summer break, but we'll be back in the fall with more movies including Eyes Wide Shut, Never Been Kissed, and more. In the meantime, we're launching a new show on Luminary about another influential moment in 1999 called Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99. The pod will dive deep on the iconic music festival and how its success and failures left its mark on history. The series begins on Tuesday, July 9th, and will be coming to you every Tuesday for eight weeks. So make sure to check out Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99 on Luminary. Hello, and welcome to the third and final episode of the Recapables Stranger Things. For those of you just tuning in, we have been talking about the first, first through third, and then fourth through sixth, now seventh through eighth episodes of Stranger Things. So if you have not watched those first six, you should probably go back, watch them, and then listen to the first two episodes of this podcast if that is your inclination. If you have, we are very excited to break down the grand finale of Stranger Things 3, I'm Allison Herman. Joining me on the other line is Ringer staff writer Miles Surrey. Miles, how are you? Well, I'm not sure I'll ever be emotionally prepared to talk about the finale, but I guess we should try anyway. Yeah, that was maybe a pretty loaded question. So again, (laughs) please do not listen any further if you haven't watched these episodes. And if you do, do not by any means at either of us on Twitter. We have given you fair warning. But... Man, Chief Hopper is dead, which I will just be totally frank and say I did not expect this show to go there. I think like around the end of the third volume is maybe the time for a major character death. But like this is a crowd pleasing, nice show. It has swear words, but it's still about kids. But yeah, the the whole theme of this season has been growing up and letting go of childish things and allowing change to happen. And I guess part of that is saying goodbye to a fan favorite. I don't know. Yeah, also saying goodbye to probably the show's biggest father figure, which is also a tough part of it. Um, The one thing I will say, and I, I should stress, I really hope this isn't the case, is like... I thought it was interesting that we don't technically see him get vaporized. And then in the post credit scene, we know that the Russians have an American prisoner. I would, I really hope that's not like a surprise hoppers back type deal, but I'm curious why the show decided to mention that the Russians have like an American in some hidden base where they feed people to the Demogorgon. But sure. I guess that would just really undo a lot of the emotional impact of we get this like oh, beautiful, yeah, beautiful. I mean, I honestly, like, when it happened, I was like, okay, this is, like, not great, but I can get through it. And I am not a crier when it comes to movies and television. I, you know, I'm a critic, and a lot of that means that you get a little detached. But even just in general, I'm just not a crier in any situation. And when Eleven reads that final letter of the heart-to-heart that he'd been planning on giving her and Mike, it was just, like, the mascara was smeared all over my face. It was not pretty. I don't know. It was just, it really got to me in a way that I was almost surprised by because I love Stranger Things a lot and it's super fun, but it's not really where I go to for my emotional catharsis. Like, this is not The Leftovers. It's where you go to have, like, a nice, relaxing July 4th weekend. I was just not emotionally prepared to 
go through this. <laughs> no, it was a beautiful speech. I think it's probably goes down as like my favorite moment from the entire series. Uh, shout out to the Duffer Brothers because they directed and wrote this episode. It was a lovely speech and this David and Harbour, great performance. So yes, both yes. of the episodes we're going to be talking about here are credited entirely to the Duffer Brothers as was the premiere. But in between, you know, they obviously, they brought on outside writers and directors to help make the show like a sustainable thing. But yeah, it does seem telling that they decided to like step in and really guide this to a close because it feels like a very, very important juncture in the in the arc of the series. And, you know, in my review that was published on the site on uh, Wednesday, I talk a little bit about how like the meta arc of this series is really written into the actual plot of the season, which is these kids are growing up. That is scary. That is uncertain. But you ultimately have to accept that and you know, adapt to it. And obviously, you know, you can read into the whole, like, it's a show about child stars and they need to figure out how to, like, not be about a bunch of cute little kids anymore. But it was interesting to me that they both, like, successfully managed to address that without feeling, like, too on the nose. But it also just felt very earned and very organic. And, like, I genuinely felt for Hopper's struggles as a parent and felt grateful that he was able to work through that before he was potentially vaporized by a Russian war machine. <laughs> Also, um, also just really tough beat for Eleven, you know, first her mom now, like, you know, basically her dad. It's 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 going to be tough. And, and I, I am, you know, I've, I've always been cautious about the longevity of the show, but I I am excited to see what like a fourth season will do in, in the fallout of that. And also like the buyers is with Eleven, like, you know, leaving the town. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing where they have just enough plot threads where I can see, like, what a fourth season would have to deal with. Like, Eleven, you know, maybe has lost her powers and what's going on with that. But there were a lot of things that felt very conclusive. And one of those things is, like, the buyers who are the core of the show, along with Eleven, so altogether, basically, like, all the most important characters are just leaving Hawkins. And Hawkins is the location. So... I would be excited to see the show branch out. But yeah, it definitely feels like we are at a very critical juncture to the show where it's making a lot of decisions that are hard to walk back without seeming cheap or pandering, which, as you said, like, that's a very legitimate concern you have. So we're going to pour through, like, the specifics of how we wrap up all the plot threads of the season in a second. But first, we're just going to do our quick tweet length review, which, like, full disclosure, both of us just quoted the speech because the speech was so good. And mine was just like, (laughs) keep on growing up, kids. I'll just be sobbing in the corner. Meanwhile, sorry, I don't want things to change. And rest in power, Jim Hopper. Truly, he died fighting for what he believed in. I think we could all be proud of that. But yeah, so just going into Villain Watch, we found out in the last set of episodes what the Mind Player is doing, but it has now assembled the army of the flayed. It has suctioned everyone up, which also, like, this is a big death count. Like, I guess they're they're explaining it in the end as there was, like, an explosion at the mall and that's how everyone died. But there were, like, a lot of people over a sustained and staggered period of time who were sucked up into this, like, dozens I want to say and that's just a lot of uh absences to explain yeah because um according to like the like like uh three month later uh you know post like news report talking about like the the thing I think it said uh like 30 people died including Hopper so that would be like 29 people potentially like who died in Hawkins being part of the Mind Flayers fleshy form which is pretty pretty brutal also like 
you know, when when the people are leaving the carnival to become a part of it, like I thought it was interesting they included like a shot of a kid. So it's like there's at least a child who died in in this season, which is pretty dark. Yeah. Also, just a really random assortment of townspeople. Like, yeah, this uh, paranoid schizophrenic old lady, the editor in chief <laughs> of the town paper, a high schooler, a small child, and like God knows who else. We're all just at a mall after hours. Um, and because they, and they all died. Uh, I just, you know, not the best cover story, but yeah, that's so the mind flare is fully assembled. The seventh episode is mostly like in the style of Stranger Things paying homage to various genres of 80s horror. It's like a home invasion. Everyone's sequestered up in a cabin. And then the eighth episode is called the Battle of Starcourt because literally everyone converges on the Starcourt mall and it's you know, the adults versus the Russians and the kids versus the Mind Flayer plus Billy. And there's just everyone kind of coming together plus like Dustin and Erica on a hilltop. But, you know, the final form has been achieved for the Mind Flayer, which means that like the action can truly start. Yeah, and it's pretty horrifying too because, um, you know, obviously it wants to kill all of Eleven's friends. And I guess instead of killing Eleven, it kind of wants to meld with her too. I, I feel like, even though it's not maybe set outright, I guess the end game would be to sort of co-opt her. Yeah, co-opt her, get her telekinetic powers and be like, I guess, truly unstoppable. Yeah, that's like a truly terrifying possibility that's just kind of hinted at for a few seconds. And I thought that was maybe an indication of like what the Mind Flayer could try to do next as the kind of the escalation, which is instead of defeating Eleven, subsuming her and having access to her abilities, which again is like, well, what do the what do the kids do now? Because Eleven is really their only like defense mechanism against any of this. There's also, I think, a truly fun, although also sad, because it results in at least one major fatality face off at this carnival that we were talking about. Again, just as I have written. I was specifically thinking of, like, the spinny ride that Joyce and Hopper go into, I believe, multiple times. Like, I've done that ride. My friends thought it was really (laughs) funny to try to, like, sit up during it, and then you kind of, like, stay up. It's a very strange gravity effect. But, yeah, also, like, that funhouse type thing that, like, has the outdoor uh, balcony. Like, I just had very, very vivid sense memories of going through things exactly like that. And, of course... I think the thing that it reminded me the most of was uh, Us, which obviously yeah. begins with like a mirror funhouse, and that plays into a lot of themes of that movie. But just the shot of the Russian walking through with his gun and using his gun to suss out where there's a mirror. I noticed they didn't have any scenes of him like literally smacking into a mirror with the gun because that would have been like physical comedy and kind of spoiled the mood a little bit. But it is a really like just enthralling shot. I was just. It was fun to watch him lurk around for 30 seconds. Yeah, it actually reminded me a bit, too, of... uh, I mentioned this before because I want the guy who plays Russian Terminator to be in the John Wick franchise, but John Wick has done a few fight scenes in the second and third movies dealing with, like, mirrors and funhouses, too. So it sort of reminded me of that. And also, like, yeah, just generally, like, obviously it's, like, a kind of intentionally, like, like, uh, stereotype villain but like I thought the Russian Terminator was just like a really fun inclusion to the show and to sort of give Hopper something to do other than like help Eleven fight the mind player and stuff like that like their fight scene at the end was pretty damn epic uh, who do we think the Russian 
Terminator could play in John Wick. I feel like my head initially just um, or immediately goes to like maybe he could play Boban's like avenging <laughs> twin brother. I feel like they are of similar size and stature. But you are you are of course a more passionate fan of that franchise than anyone. So <laughs> got Bobby a get tattooed on my chest. Yeah, no, I I just think yeah he could just be like one of the many obstacles John Wick has on his way in uh, the fourth one. Um, he doesn't have to be like a major role, but like he he looks like he can put up a good fight. So that's all we really need. This is true. I think we also are required to mention in the mechanics of the final battle, because this is a season both set on July 4th and literally released on July 4th, they decide to use fireworks as ballistics and are exploding (laughs) these things like inside a food court and obviously lots of risks to their safety. But what is the mind flare if not a giant risk to their safety? Also love how the fireworks were called Satan's baby. Um, seemed appropriate. They were pretty lethal. I thought there was a little bit of a taken advantage of hint there where um, Lucas is like, oh, five of these together is basically just like an M80. And I was like, oh, it would be really fun if they just like tied five of them together and then like threw oh, it yeah. into the open mouth and it like exploded in a fireworks display. I kind of thought that's where it was going. But of course, that deprives us of the big dramatic moment where it's cut off from the void. But yeah, obviously the... Mind Flayer is defeated. The Russians are defeated. Joyce turns the ignition two ignition keys at the same time. The U.S. government comes in, led by Paul Reiser. And Does he say anything? I don't think he says a word this season. He just showed no, up. No, yeah. I mean, I hope he just got like an incredible paycheck for just like standing against a green screen. Like, shout out to my guy. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the one thing that we have yet to talk about is Billy, who yeah. gets quite the farewell. Um, I'm not really sure how I felt about Billy's arc this season, but I will say I thought Dacre Montgomery, the actor who played him, did a terrific job without getting much to do, especially in the second half. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because we don't, we first of all, just haven't gotten to know him that much at all outside of his being possessed and even what little we did know of him was just like he's an asshole he sucks to max he's like kind of racist like yeah it was just and, and hard also to... it was hinted before like maybe he had some daddy issues and i guess they sort of do that outright when 11 ends up on the inception beach well they talked about uh his and max's relationship with their dad last season but it just wasn't you know fully followed up on this time and i just think it's very hard to sell like Max being distraught about her brother when we know that relationship is so complicated and they don't have the space to talk about how complicated that relationship was when she's just supposed to be mourning him. Yeah, it also didn't help that they didn't have a single scene together before he got possessed, which I think would have at least added to it a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And also, like, the psychological background that Elle digs up when she's walking around in his memories is not, like, the richest stuff. It's like, oh, he misses his mom, who, of course, like, the only thing she can say about her is, like, she was really pretty and, like, <laughs> ugh, just, like, don't get me started on that again. But, um, you know, it's just, like, he, his dad was kind of a jerk. His mom uh, is very much missed. He misses California. And, like, her big touchstone memory that brings him back is, like, oh, remember surfing? And, like, it's just... the He's not quite developed enough as a villain to really play around with, like, the interior of his mind. He... he and weirdly, it just kind of worked this season, I think, when he was possessed, when it's like, we already don't like this person, but we don't like him in a very grounded human way. And now it's just escalated. And our our pre-existing dislike of him is very easily transferred into him being an avatar for like an evil interdimensional monster. 
Yeah, and and I do feel like, you know, had he survived the season, there's like, at least, you know, the way thinking about it now, I feel like he wouldn't have a lot to do in season four than maybe being a bit reformed or just once again being a, a asshole lifeguard. But I will say, like, you know, I thought Dacre Montgomery did a great job. I'd be curious to see what he does next because the dude, I mean, he looks like Zac Efron. He's a good actor. I feel like he could do some cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. So I think that more or less wraps up the end of the, you know, like major conflict. I think this is Stranger Things. So there was not a great deal of suspense about whether everyone would triumph. And it's more interesting, like where everyone lands after and how they do it. So that brings us to our next segment, Do We Ship It? And I think we should lead with what to me was one of the more pleasant surprises and something I maybe should have seen coming, which is the revelation that Robin is gay or at least like mostly attracted to other women and not Steve. And it was a very effective, I think, bait and switch on the writer's part. And frankly, like, I just don't, this show is very straight. It's not something I associate a lot with queer culture. And I thought it successfully replicated the fact that, like, Steve at first, like, literally can't even conceive of the fact that, like, it was, a girl it was the might, slowest realization. <laughs> yes, that a girl might be uh, attracted to other girls. I think Steve's coming around on it so quickly is, like, maybe a little bit of fantasy, but, like, this is a television show, and I understand we can't really do, like, a whole episode of Steve, like, working out his feelings towards homosexuality, you know? Um, but I, th- I thought it was, like, relatively well executed and, like, a good... Uh, manifestation of her arc as this kind of like surprising wild card at the periphery of the show. And and I do like that they leave it very open that, well, both Steve and Robin would return next season. Uh, I guess they're going to work at like quasi blockbuster and, and just hang out more. But yeah, I think Maya Hawk was probably the best addition the show's had, you know, since it started. And yeah, no, I, I thought, I, I mean, I wouldn't, call it a twist, but like I did not see that coming at all. I really did think they were laying on like a a real shipping situation. So yeah, no, good for Robin. And even if it's not romantic, Steve gives this whole uh, declaration of feeling speech while they're keeled over toilets puking at the last of the Russian drugs. <laughs> and it's very sweet just as an expression of affection for someone and understanding of them, even if it doesn't turn out to be fully romantic. I think it's because I found someone who's a little bit better for me. It's crazy. Ever since Dustin got home, he's been saying, you know, you got to find your Susie. You got to find your Susie. Wait, who's Susie? It's some girl from camp. I guess it's girlfriend. To be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure she's even real. But that's not, that's not really the point. That doesn't matter. The point is this girl, you know, the one that I like. It's somebody that I didn't even talk to in school. And I don't even know why. Maybe because Tommy H. would have made fun of me or I wouldn't be prom king. It's stupid. I mean, Dustin's right. It's all just a bunch of bullshit anyways. Because when I think about it, I should have been hanging out with this girl the whole time. First of all, she's hilarious. She's so funny. I feel like this summer I have laughed harder than I have laughed in a really long time. And she's smart, way smarter than me. You know, she can crack, like, top-secret Russian codes, and... You know, she's honestly unlike anyone I've ever even met before. But yeah, I'm very excited to see Maya Hawk, a movie snob, happening next season. And just that scene where uh, she just, like, fires off her three oh, favorite incredible. movies, and they're just super classy classic 
art house pics and Steve's only answers are like Animal House and the Star Wars with the teddy bears in it. Yeah. Just, oh, and he's like, oh, in the movie where Marty McFly almost banged his mom, that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about this in our 80s references, but Back to the Future has a large presence in this season of Stranger Things. Not that surprisingly, but it's definitely discernible. Uh, we should probably dedicate some time to our the more junior of our relationships, which is Mike and Eleven. First of all, having a heart-to-heart in the middle of this, like, abandoned grocery store that they've posted up in, which is, like, not the time to talk about your relationship problems when your girlfriend has a, like, tiny squirmy worm thing in her leg. Just wait, wait it out. Just, like, a few minutes, maybe. Um, and then my other... I guess we're just going to call this a nitpick, even though we don't do that segment on this <laughs> podcast. But the the main conflict around them is Mike, like, working up the nerve to say, I love you. And then Elle eventually, you know, performs some emotional labor, like women in relationships everywhere, and says it for him. And, you know, that's, like, a, I think much more of a thing in adult relationships. I feel like kids say, I love you, just, like, immediately, because they don't know what love is yet. Like, it, that's just did not feel true to the hyperspeed of young love. Yeah, I mean, because they have ostensibly been just making out in a room for six months straight. So I feel like they would have said something very melodramatic to one another at some point. But it also makes you wonder, like, if they could even make long distance work. Because that codependency, man, it's it's not great. Yeah, and they're already making plans, which I guess is kind of the crux of making long distance work. Um, also, this is maybe me falling down the job a little bit. But do we ever find out, like, exactly where they're moving to? Is it Chicago? That's a great question because I just rewatched the episode, but I, I don't remember. I feel like it would be another small town, though. I just I don't see Joyce being the type of person who'd move to the big city. Yeah, I mean, it's just mentioned like early on. It's foreshadowed by Hopper being like, I want you to still feel like this is on your this is your home. And she's thought about selling the house, but she doesn't really say like where she's thinking about relocating to. And then when we get the flash forward, we see them packing up and they're talking about moving and they're close enough that, like, a distance is possible, but they're obviously not next door. Um, it just seemed like a, a bit of a loose end that the season um, left open. Although, you know, feel free to add us if we missed a major, major plot development. We will take full responsibility for that. I think probably the other biggest relationship development is that Susie is real. She is an actual human person who lives in Utah and loves math and ham radio. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, considering how many times people made fun of Dustin maybe having an imaginary girlfriend, I feel like this was sort of inevitable. But the fact that it it hinged on them singing Never Ending Story together was um, definitely unexpected, but also very, very 80s. It was very charming. I also that was kind of like the two possibilities for me is either Susie's fake, which you're right, is totally made too explicit to be, like, a real possibility or she was going to come in at the last minute to save the day, which, like, what of 80s dork fantasy that your knowledge of, like, obscure named constants in math will <laughs> save literally the world. Um, but it was very charming. And, of course, the only thing worse than Dustin having a fake girlfriend that everyone can make fun of him for is Dustin having a real girlfriend with real gross nicknames for him and uh, strange singing habits that everyone can make fun of him for. Yeah, I gotta say, though, uh, well, Dusty Poo's a, a pretty bad nickname, but they, honestly, they kind of killed Never Ending Story. I, I sort of tried on my own singing it. It did not go well, but it would make for a good karaoke song. 
And finally, um, yeah, we mentioned everyone's going long distance. I think Mike and Elle, it's a little tough because they're kids, but Nancy and Jonathan, uh, do we think that's going to work out? Uh, I think it'll I think it'll work. Because um, I also like, not that like they have to like get out of the house, but they're high school graduates. They can like maybe just try to figure out a plan where it's like, what if we worked in the same city together or something? So I, I've still got hope for them. I mean, they could also just take the plunge and just, like, move to Chicago and get their own apartment. I know Jonathan has talked about he wants to go to college and he's saving up for that and all that stuff. But, like, I don't know, maybe Nancy could subsidize him. I just think they're young adults. It's more plausible for them to, like, launch an independent life where they don't have to, like, follow their parents to wherever they are. Or Nancy doesn't have to stay in Hawkins. We should probably say that we did not name the dad bod corner, or we did not come up with the dad bod corner segment of knowing that its namesake would die. So this is probably going to be a little lighthearted considering the ultimate outcome, but Jim Hopper lived a life of joy as well, (laughs) even though he died tragically. So we're going to talk a little bit about some things that he managed to do before shuffling off this mortal coil. Let's laugh through the tears. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Including getting set up by Brett Gelman, which I do love that, like, that character basically played the same role for uh, Jonathan and Nancy last season. Yeah, it was a lot creepier last season, though. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, last season when he was talking to literal children and then, like, sheltered them as they, like, had sex with each other. Yeah, that was not great. Um, But this season he does the same thing where he kind of acts as the voice of the fandom and is like, you need to get together because we have been anticipating this for years and you owe it to all of us, which I thought was very entertaining. I also loved how uh, Alexia that moment's like, wait, they haven't had sex because yeah, dude, they, they've really got to get it going. But this is rough because Joyce, she can't catch a break with her dudes. Yeah. So like not only have they never had sex, but they will never have sex. And Joyce has just had the most like tragic romantic record. Obviously, things did not ultimately work out with the boy's father. Then there was Bob, who died in absolutely horrifying fashion. And now not only is Hopper dead, but technically she is the one who pulled the trigger, even though he obviously like silently communicated that he's okay with this and this is what he wants. But just like imagine on top of all the additional trauma that Joyce is already carrying around, she also has to live with that, which is just, it's clearly not what Hopper would want for her. Uh, It just... I want the best for Joyce. I hope things start looking up for her eventually. Yeah, you can't exactly express that in an OkCupid profile. That's that's pretty rough. Well, I don't know. It's the 80s, so she's probably <laughs> going to be doing one of those like VCR remote. Oh, my pro- God. Honestly, yeah. like if you guys are listening to the stuff for Brothers, you actually have to include that next season. That'd be so funny. It's going to be like Gordon Clark making a self-tape. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It's going to be beautiful. Watch Halt and Catch Fire, guys. It's on Netflix. Um, Great show. I do think it's great that uh, he did fight the Russian Terminator at the fair. I did think it was dumb that he put like five shots into his body and then didn't bother going for the head, which, you know, is much less likely to have a bulletproof vest on it. Also, not to get morose about it, but like if you shoot a dude five times and no blood is like coming out of him, that's probably a sign that, yeah, he, he has something guarding his chest. Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes back to what Russian Terminator said earlier, which is like, you're a policeman and policemen have rules and... Maybe like a little bit of Hopper's like, well, if I take him out of commission. Yeah, that's you know, true. It doesn't matter. But I also know, love how a- <laughs> when he went down to the uh, to the base, he's just like the American in, in his Russian accent. It's just it's perfect. What, well, what it's a like perfect Ameri- cheesy villain. Yeah. yeah, it's like Americans. Yeah, Americans. Pronou- yeah. This is how he pronounces it. 
And also at one point he does mow down a bunch of Russians with a machine gun while they're infiltrating the base. Immediately after Brad Gelman is like, you know, if we do this right, they won't even know we're here. And then (laughs) they immediately just have to shoot half a dozen of them on site. I did like that little moment, though, where he's talking with the guard. They're like, what are you going on about? He's like, oh, he was a nice guard. (laughs) Great. Great character. A lot more enjoyable than Martin on Fleabag. Yeah, and one last uh, dad bod thing to remember him by, which is just the most dad thing that he maybe says all season, so it's perfect, which is when Joyce and Hopper are finally planning their date. They're agreeing ahead of time is a date. They're going to go to Enzo's. They're going to get smashed and eat breadsticks together this time as opposed to Hopper just by himself. But he says he can't be out late on a Friday because Elle likes to watch Miami Vice on Fridays, which is just so cute. What a great image. You know, I... I, I don't get why you had to lie, man. You you like to watch Mammy Vice on Friday nights. Like you're wearing like a shirt to watch from the it show. Together. It is a That's classic father daughter bonding activity. You pick a show that you like to watch together. That's true. Yeah, I I, I guess I could believe that too. It's just I, I like that he framed it as L being the Miami Vice person when he's dressed like someone from the show. I know. Also tragic because if Hopper had lived 20 more years, he would have lived to see the Michael Mann big screen Miami Vice. <laughs> Oh, he would have been a big Michael Mann guy. He didn't even get to see Heat. Ugh. Oh, my God. It's so much that he'll miss out on. So many great uh, references. Although, again, maybe we don't want them to do this. We are very sad about this. But the only thing that we would be more sad about than killing Hopper off is, like, awkwardly resurrecting him next season. Please don't do that, Duffer Brothers, if you're listening. Was I overthinking the whole there's an American prisoner at this base thing? No, no, you're right. We don't actually see it. That's like a like who else would they have taken prisoner? But I don't know. Who knows? Matthew Modine. Um, I don't. That's the only other person I could think. Yeah, of. they just like airlifted Paul Reiser from that recon <laughs> mission. It's just really tough. But um, we're gonna move on to some brighter things than Jim Hopper and his legacy. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the best music cue, which again. Like, last week was kind of the rock bottom. Maybe they used up their budget on Madonna, but it wasn't a lot of, like, super high-profile 80s stuff. But it's like a parabola. It's like it went down in the middle, and then now that we're at the end, it kind of does the upswing again, mostly in the form of that never-ending story sing-along, which, like, oh, my God. Incredible. I uh, I mean, I was happy they delivered on Chekhov's Mormon Girlfriend, but never in my wildest dreams would I have expected this. Yeah, also... I'm not sure that they had the time to do the full song. Like, he definitely had several, like, breath breaks to be like, okay, like, now (laughs) we should maybe get to it. But I understand that they needed to stage their whole moment. Um, They're also a little bit of higher and higher in the car, which is not a period-specific 80s thing, but, like, again, a classic music cue to help set the mood. And then, uh, you know, in a direct callback to season one, which played... David Bowie's actual song Heroes, there is a even more mournful, even bigger, even sadder cover of it that plays over that final montage, which is just, oh, tugs on the heartstrings. Yeah, it was already, I was already tearing up, but it was like, come on, guys, you don't have to do this. (laughs) And then finally, there's the July 4th Carnival, which has Rockin' in the USA playing over it, which, you know, we probably could have guessed that like in a vacuum, but, you know, still helps set the vibe. Yeah, and I gotta say, you know, other than the Russians infiltrating the carnival and, well, unfortunately killing Alexei, uh, you know, not as much chaos as the, at the carnival uh, as I initially expected. That's true. I mean, I guess, like, most of it was quiet where people just kind of, like, walked off to join the mind, hun- the mind flare. But yeah, there was definitely, like, a real, when they're on top of the Ferris wheel and 
Mike and uh, Nancy's like unnamed, perpetually small younger sister is like, oh, there's something moving in the trees. And I think there was definitely a few seconds of like, oh my God, is this monster about to just like totally wreak havoc? Everyone is like suspended helplessly on a Ferris wheel. They're vulnerable to attack. What is going to happen? And uh, fortunately, that didn't really uh, come to pass. But, you know. Yeah, Mike's mom honestly had a, a good end to the season, just hung out at a carnival shipped Hopper and Joyce uh, without knowing it. I don't think we got also shouted out her, uh, her dye job. She makes a good blonde. I think that's definitely a much lighter shade of blonde than we've seen in previous seasons. Yeah, th- this is a pro Carabono podcast. This is true. Not as pro bono as The Watch, but we we try. Yeah, th- we there's, no, the there's no way to compare to that. Yeah, so this brings us to our final rundown of the most 80s moments, which I feel like I should start off with something that we missed earlier, which is when they are camped out in the supermarket, there's lots of like fun retro packaging. I'm sure it was an absolute nightmare for the art directors to track down all this like brand specific, period specific background stuff, but it was incredibly well done. So shout out to the production team on that. But then also they're uh, positioned in front of the freezer case. And of course you can just see like a row of Eggos, which is a classic classic Stranger Things touchstone, just like lingering over everyone, but specifically Elle's shoulders. So I thought that was a nice little callback that wasn't too ostentatious, but is still there for the fans. Also, we had Lucas um, talking about how much he loved the taste of New Coke, which was interesting. I'm just now morbidly curious to know what New Coke tasted like, because, you know, obviously it was such a awful thing that they just went back to the original uh, flavor. So I, I guess I'm just, yeah, I want to I want to know what New Coke is like. I mean, we'll never know, but I'm already inclined to agree with Lucas because I got to say, he has like a brief moment where he's like, why aren't the bowls of the cereal? That would obviously make sense. And grocery stores, particularly like retro older grocery stores, are the worst organized spaces on the planet. And it's terrible. And I would just like to say shout out to Lucas for picking up on that. It does not (laughs) get better as you were an adult, but it's not just you. No, um, no, it does not. Uh, this is probably the most Brooklyn thing I'll ever say on the podcast, but the organic mart that I go to near my apartment, nothing makes sense. I And they also change things constantly. So I, I'm well, like, where's the organic peanut butter? Where'd this thing go? Well, in New York, it's even worse because everything is so squashed together and higher. Yes. And so it's even harder to navigate. But yeah, all grocery stores are just like labyrinthine mazes and you have to like go into the middle of an aisle and then you realize the thing isn't there. And then you have to go all the way out of the aisle and around. And it's just like not a great way to organize your space. And I just sympathize with anyone who is picking up on that, especially small children. Um, I also thought a very 80s moment was just when Joyce and Hopper run into the wheelers and are like, where are your kids? And they're like, who knows? It's summer. And I was just like, that is the most 80s, like pre-cell phone, pre-helicopter parent, pre-whatever thing is just like, no one knows where their kids are or is particularly concerned about it. They'll find out later. It's fine. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, like even when when I was a teenager, if I didn't check in with like my mom after a certain point, she would start to get worried. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I definitely had very protective parents in general, but I feel like there was just like a wave of like, (laughs) sorry to get a little dark, but like those high profile kidnappings in the early 2000s, like Elizabeth Smart, it was all of a sudden like, oh, you have to know where your kids are like all the time. Yeah, like if they're at the carnival, you can't just let them run off and do whatever. 
Yeah, there just wasn't that laissez-faire of like, oh, it's the summer, just like ride around on your bikes all day and don't bother me, get out of the house. Like it's everything needs to be structured and everything needs to be supervised. And like, I need to be very sure. And of course now we have phones, so you can literally just like find my iPhone yep. or kid at like any given moment. So definitely a blast from the past in maybe a subtle or less pop culture related way than the <laughs> usual Stranger Things. And also, of course, uh, when Elle thinks that her powers might be gone, she tries to test them on a can of new Coke and flashes back to her testing it on a can of actual Coke when she's still in the lab. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a troubling development, although maybe good for her psychologically. I don't know. Yeah, and also interesting for the show if they stick with it and then there's another, you know, upside down threat next season and it's like, well, we don't have 11X Mahina to just like, you know, save us again. Is there, I guess is the inflection point like the the squirmy thing was inside of her and then she just kind of loses, although she uses it to remove it. So I couldn't quite catch like exactly what the point that she stops being able to control her powers is, but there's not like a clear this happened and then she just couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was honestly expecting like at the very end when she was trying to reach for that teddy bear, I thought like we'd probably get a little like the teddy bear shaking a little to be like, oh, maybe she's slowly getting it back. But yeah, yeah, curious to see what they do. Yeah, I'm also curious if it turns out to be more like psychosomatic. Like she, I could totally see like she's not... She doesn't like being the one who's always dependent on for this. And so maybe some part of her subconscious just kind of like flipped off the switch so she could be a normal kid for a while or or if it's going to be like, oh, this happened to her and this is why. I am curious about that. Although, um, yeah, like I, I guess if if Eleven doesn't have her powers back, Hopper's not around, like it's going to be really tough to kill like the Demogorgon as as the uh, post credit scene alluded to next season. Yeah, and one last retro thing before we go is just the the local news broadcast that opens the three months later flash forward that's just bringing us up to speed on like the official cover story for all this is just the most like <laughs> sensational throwback local news thing right down to we get a little glimpse of the satanic panic, which is a little bit of a crossover with your favorite show of all time, True Detective season three. <laughs> um, all time, wow. Well, that's my, my impression from, you know, your content for theringer.com. But yeah, no, those, those 5,000 word recaps, that was all passion. <laughs> <laughs> what else? But yeah, definitely like a little bit of 80s paranoia where, as we know, with 30 years of hindsight, the nation was not suddenly run over by devil worshipers. People were really scared about that for for a hot second. Yeah. So I I guess I was also wondering what you think, um, kind of going away from the 80s stuff, what you think the fourth season should tackle or like what, what kind of place they're in right now, especially with Hopper gone? Um, I think the fourth season should definitely, I think it's an interesting opportunity now that the, uh, now that the buyers and 11 have left, they could maybe have a sense of place in another location. Like Hawkins is obviously always going to be the home base. I'm sure it's going to involve everyone coming back together in the town, but it would be cool to see the show maybe be a little more urban if they do end up moving to a city like Chicago or just, Using the opportunity to do a different locale, I think, would be a cool, fresh place for the show to go. And then just the thing that I always want out of Stranger Things that they're getting closer and closer to, but they haven't quite perfected, is, like, they need to fix the villain problem. Like, there needs to be something specific next season. Because it's missing that thing that, like, it's so obsessed with John Carpenter, but it doesn't have the Carpenter thing of, like, the monster stands for something. Or at the very least encourages something in the plot that 
you know, I think right now it just ends up being like all the character work happens early on and then the bad stuff starts and everyone just joins on the same team. And it would be cool to watch a bad guy like encourage certain develop certain splits or just play into a pre-existing dynamic. And the show just doesn't have a handle on that part of its storytelling yet. And it's the most obvious area of improvement for me. But how about you? No, no, I totally agree. I also, I I mean, again, far be it for me to tell the Duffer brothers what to do because uh, for the most part, they've done a great job with the show. But I'm curious if they will stick with the fourth season being the last one because I know that before they've said they're thinking four or five. But with the way these kids are growing, like a fifth season in like three or four years, like you might as well be talking about like college age Stranger Things at that point. Yeah, I think the fourth season seems like a natural closing point because, again, they do have things that they need to give some sort of closure on, chiefly the L slash 11 situation. But again, like the fact that they made this whole season about growing up means that even just like thematically, it almost this is like a very weird comparison, but it's kind of like Broad City, like the season... where they started to be like, okay, things are changing. Things are different. We're going to, like, the fourth season of that show was a lot about, like, oh, it's winter in New York City now, and, like, certain dynamics are shifting. And then the next season, the fifth, ended up being their last and and carried, carried through a lot of those same things. So I would not be surprised if something similar happened with Stranger Things, although, of course, we don't know yet. Um, that brings us to a close of this mini-series of The Recapables. Thank you so much for listening to those who did. We love the show. We love talking about it. Please let us know if you have any feedback or questions or other takes or opinions to share. But until then, thank you so much and goodbye. 